In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The older we get, the more we come to recognize the interconnectedness of the past, the present, and the future. For example, just look at our fashions in clothing. Today, the pendulum of fashion trends is swinging back, reintroducing styles that we saw 30 years ago. Or what about our human relationships? We see how those relationships can either improve or deteriorate based on the accumulation of past events. We also recognize more and more how much influence our childhood experiences have on our present responses and behaviors. And what about the future? Where does this fit in? Looking into the future is almost like gambling, is it not? For example, when our doctors offer us prognoses on the various illnesses that we might encounter in life, they usually come in the form of odds, say in the form of a 40 or 50 or 90 percent chance of recovery. Those prognoses, however, are no more than records of the past. Based on the past results of similar cases, doctors predict the outcome for your illnesses and mine. And at a personal level, you and I experience every day an assortment of common emotions. For example, worry, hope, dread, regret, nostalgia, anticipation, and such, all of which point to the enormous impact that the past and the present have on us. And then, like it or not, the future reaches back to influence what is happening in our lives now. If you don't believe me, then look at the effort you make in preparing for a class assignment with the future grade you will get in mind, or the preparations you made for your call or vicarage interviews. All of that preparation demonstrates the impact that the future has on our present priorities and our decisions. In fact, the future, more than the past, has the greatest impact on how we live now. The verses from Jeremiah that we have before us this morning also bear witness to the relationship of the past, present, and future, but they do it with a twist. And that twist is faith. The twist is a recognition that we really cannot calculate the relationships of the past and the present without factoring in God's future and then living toward it. In a sense, that's what God, through the prophet Jeremiah, was doing here. He calls on the people of Judah to think about their past and present behavior in the light of the future. Yes, just before today's reading, this word from the Lord came to Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says. Stand in the courtyard of the Lord's house and speak to all of the people of the towns of Judah who come to worship in the house of the Lord. Tell them everything I command you to do. Do not omit a word. Say to them, this is what the Lord says. If you do not listen to the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I've sent to you again and again, that I will make this house like Shiloh and this city an object of cursing among all the nations of the earth. What a severe prediction of the future 
God asked Jeremiah to share with the people and the towns of Judah. And yet God is not asking Jeremiah to say this in a gleeful or a gloating spirit, something we at times are tempted to do as we preach the law to people. There wasn't an I-can't-wait-until-I-give-it-to-them attitude on the part of God either. God's heart was heavy. Yes, it was heavy as he thought about the indifference and the disobedience of Judah. But it's always heavy and torn with anguish when people reject his love. And yet the people of Judah needed to hear these severe words. Something was wrong with their ears. They had not and were not listening to the voices of God's prophets. Something was wrong with their feet. They were not walking God's paths. Something was wrong with their hearts. They foolishly were engaged in a thoughtless and a routine observance of their worship life. The substance of God's message through Jeremiah is an attack on the illusion that being part of God's chosen people gave the people of Judah automatic privileges and absolution from any moral judgment. The illusion in our day would be what some people might call comfortable Christianity, that attitude toward our faith life which allows us to enjoy each other's fellowship while ignoring or rejecting people who are in need or who are different. So how do the people of Judah receive the message that God asked Jeremiah to bring to them? As soon as Jeremiah had finished telling all the people everything that the Lord had commanded him to say, the priests, the prophets, and the people seized him and said, You must die. And then the priests and the prophets took Jeremiah up from the royal palace to the house of the Lord and took their places to the entrance of the new gate of the Lord's house. And then the priests and the prophets said to the officials of Judah and all the people, This man should be sentenced to death because he has prophesied against this city. You have heard it with your own ears. And what does Jeremiah do? Does he try to excuse himself by blaming God for his message? Did he do a God-made-me-do-it thing? No. With conviction, he makes God's message his own when he says, Reform your ways and your actions and obey the Lord your God. Then the Lord will relent and not bring the disaster he's pronounced upon you. As for me, I am in your hands. Do with me whatever you think is good and right. Be assured, however, that if you put me to death... You will bring the guilt of innocent blood on yourselves and on this city and those who live in it. For in truth, the Lord has sent me to speak all these words in your hearing. Jeremiah's life was on the line, and he was willing to die for the truth of the message that God asked him to bring. By the way, while none of us will probably ever have to put our lives on the line because of our calling, It is never easy to be a modern-day prophet, in other words, a spokesman for repentance and renewal and change. Those of you soon to be placed in your first call will find this out quickly enough if you haven't learned it already. Now, the prophet Jeremiah was rejected because the people, including the priests and the state-run prophets, did not like what God had him say. They liked their power, and Jeremiah was a threat to their power. And yet Jeremiah, like our Lord Jesus, was not trying to take power away from people. He wanted to give them power. He wanted to empower them with all that God is. 
Jeremiah in our text was focused on what God told him to say. Jeremiah is object lesson number one of what complete trust in the love and the mercy of God can do for a person. Nothing could turn Jeremiah from his course. He knew who it was who sent him to speak to Judah. If you, in fact, were going to summarize what Jeremiah was saying to Judah, this is how I would do it. My summary would be, God is in charge. That's powerful. God is in charge. But that's something that can be said every time God's word is present, as it is again this morning. God is in charge. Scary? No. Comforting, reassuring, strengthening. What better message can we hear? We who are daily called upon to share God's love with one another and others. God is in charge. What a powerful thing to be able to say, especially when because of our Lord's death and resurrection we can add, nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes, God is in charge. And he, our God, even now, is reaching back from the future to assure us that his love will be with us now, as it has been in the past. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.